Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Natasha Huffine about driving and community integration after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Midwest Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I very recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, my guest is Natasha Huffine, and Natasha is an occupational therapist and certified brain injury specialist with 11 years experience working with people who have sustained traumatic brain injuries while at Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation Center. At Origami, she specializes in vision vision therapy, cognitive perceptual motor retraining, and driving rehabilitation. Natasha is also a surveyor for the Commission on Accreditation of Rehabilitation Facilities for the Brain Injury Specialty Programs. Currently, Natasha is a panelist assisting to form medical guidelines for treatment of those with moderate to severe brain injuries through the Brain Injury Association of America. Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation Center is a nonprofit organization located in Lansing, Michigan. Origami provides comprehensive rehabilitation care for survivors of brain injuries and their families. Through their compassionate and innovative service, Origami creates opportunities and transforms lives. So welcome to the podcast, Natasha. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amy. The pleasure really is all mine. Aww. And so I have the very distinct pleasure of meeting you and seeing your facility and meeting your amazing staff. Um, when I was recently in Michigan, um, I keynoted at your annual conference. And I just have to say, Origami is such a beautiful facility. And it makes me so happy to see facilities like yours and the staff like yours that truly understand brain injury and know you know, what to look for and how to help people. And it just gives me so much hope, um, you know, as I find these facilities across the United States. Um, it just gives me so much hope that there's help out there for people struggling. Um, so I just really wanted to acknowledge you guys for all that you're doing in the brain injury community. Oh, thanks so much. I know I'm definitely lucky to be able to work at such a great organization. And, you know, we just have a lot of passionate individuals that work at Origami 
who are really striving to help, you know, everybody who has had a brain injury, their families and their friends to really get through this process. So I'm really proud to say that I work at Origami, and I'm glad that others who come to our campus are able to see that. So, Natasha, I'd love to start by having you share with us how you came to work in the brain injury realm. Was it intentional or was it kind of a happy accident? Um, I think that things just sort of fell in my lap. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be an occupational therapist since I was in middle school and I learned about that career in a careers class. But um, once I got to graduate school, the second day of classes, I found out that my stepfather was diagnosed with stage four glioblastoma, which is a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And so essentially the whole time I was in school, I was helping my family and learning about his brain injury. And then at the end of my graduate school, I was lucky enough to land an internship at Origami, actually. And then once I finished up that internship there, I was able to be hired. And so there was really no turning back from there. I just felt connected to the family members and that population. And I just really loved working with people who have had brain injuries. So the stars kind of aligned to put me in this career path, I think. And, you know, I feel like we're, we're sometimes led without even being aware of it. You know, we're kind of led to where we're meant to be. And I find that a lot. And, and the people working in brain injury, such as yourself, um, who have either experienced it personally or in their family, I feel like they are just the best practitioners because they get it and they have that compassion and empathy for others. Um, so it's just, um, it's always really interesting to hear people's stories and how they come to work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, being a therapist, you really have to feel connected with the people that you're working with. There has to be a reason, you know, in your heart to want to do that. Absolutely. So our topic today is driving and community integration after brain injury. And when I visited your facility, I was able to see your driving simulator. Um, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that because I know it's a very unique um, uh, tool that you guys have and how this helps people get driving and, and get back behind the wheel. Yeah, so we've thought for a long time that we've needed to educate the community about driving after brain injury in general. We see a lot of our clients going to their primary care physicians or the ER or even having hospital placements after their head injuries. And it's very notable that people are guided as to, you know, should you be walking by yourself? Should you be cooking by yourself? Should you have supervision when you go home? But a lot of times driving isn't really mentioned, or if it is, the discharge recommendations aren't very clear as to, okay, should I be driving, or if I want to pursue driving after this injury, where do I go? Who do I get help from? And, you know, from there, we really look at evaluation, a holistic interdisciplinary evaluation of our clients, because there are so many skills that can be impacted by a head injury that could make someone unsafe to drive. And driving really is dynamic tasks that we 
engage in every day. It's very dangerous. And that, you know, the sensory skills, the cognitive skills, and the physical skills that go into it could all, you know, lead to difficulties or mistakes while driving. So we've done a lot of work to look into what should an evaluation look like and what types of things do we want to find out, you know, about this individual and what are their skill areas. And we have um, for a long time completed clinical evaluations, completed, you know, uh, driving course simulation and um, behind-the-wheel driving evaluations, but we were missing a link for a long time with being able to put somebody in a safe environment within the four walls of our facility and challenge them as functionally as possible on a system to get objective information. And through some research, we found, you know, that the driving simulation is really effective in not only evaluating individuals, but in treating them for driving as well. So we are able to start very basic with um, retraining the brain. You know, the brain is like plastic, and we can regain skills like quick information processing speeds, being able to pay attention to more than one thing at a time, multitasking, and a lot of visuals and other sensory skills as well. But the thing that I think is the most beneficial about the driving simulator is that we are able to make sure other people on the road make mistakes. So maybe that biker is going to ride his bike out in front of you, or someone's going to merge into your lane, or there'll be an animal where if we're doing driving on the road, that may not happen. So we may not know really what the client is going to do to react to that. Is it going to be a safe reaction? Is it going to be quick enough? Are they even going to notice um, the hazard in the roadway? So we're able to do that. And then if an accident occurs, we're able to stop the situation, reflect on maybe the mistakes that happened, and then try again. But level of anxiety because we are in a safe environment and no one is going to get hurt. Um, so the driving simulation really is an important key aspect into our driving evaluation and treatment process. You know, when I first had my brain injury, I mean, I literally drove to the doctor <laughs> myself about <laughs> an hour after I fell. And I remember as I was driving, I was like, I probably shouldn't be driving, you know, but mm -hmm. I, the, the person who is concussed is not capable of making, you know, really good decisions. Um, and, you know, I, I was always really scared to tell the doctors and nobody ever asked. And so I never offered it up because I mm -hmm. didn't want to lose my driver's license. Um, you know, a of single course. person living alone, what am I going to do? You know, um, but I was very aware of my limitations and I, I wouldn't put myself out there um, unless it was just going to the doctor or going to the grocery store. Um, but, you know, you brought up how in the simulator you're able to, you know, have a biker or a hazard or an animal, um, a friend of mine, her sister is just learning how to drive or she started to learn in the winter actually. And, you know, winter driving is whole, a whole different bird from summer driving, yeah. but she actually commented that she hates summer driving because there's so many people, there's pedestrians, there's bikes, there's, you know, there's all this stuff. Um, so it's, it's really cool that you're able to put those obstacles and hazards in there. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen the simulator 
And it is so cool because, I mean, it is literally like, I mean, it's like a car. I mean, without the body. Mm-hmm. It's like the inside the cockpit of a car, right? And um, right. it's not just like a video game, so to speak. It's more like you actually have a steering wheel, you have a brake, you have a gas. Um, and so I think it's so much more realistic than I know that some of the simulators are more, you know, just like a video game or a computer game. Right, so, yeah. And and this one is really set up, too, so that you're able to get realistic action, you know, reaction times, too. So, you know, we want the gas and brake to be just like a vehicle. This one specifically is set up like a Ford Focus because there are segments of the simulator where we can see exactly how long it takes you to process if you see a red light when you have your foot on the gas. And so I think that really is an important aspect, not only to get accurate information that's going to translate to the road, but also for the person sitting in the driver's seat to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And do you find, so for instance, someone who received their brain injury because of a car accident, um, do you find that they're a lot more hesitant to get behind the wheel, at least in some cases? Oh, yes. We see a lot of PTSD. Um, we see a lot of anxiety and depression and fear getting back behind the wheel. And another really nice thing with the driving simulator is that we can have a psychologist come in and have a treatment session with occupational therapy while they are on the simulator. And there's some other really great functions on the simulator, too, because we have a lot of our soldiers coming back onto U.S. soil, and driving causes a lot of PTSD for them as well because of IEDs. So there are simulations oh, wow, that yeah. have um, trash bags, carcasses, random people standing on the side of the road that would be triggers for those sorts of things. So working with psychology, you know, with somebody who is either in an auto accident or for situations like that is really important so that we can practice good coping skills to get through those feelings and emotions that are very real for those individuals so that they can have a successful return of driving and they're not scared every time they get in the vehicle to go to the grocery store or, you know, to work Um, because that can be very fatiguing. And, I mean, if I felt terrible every day I got in the car, I probably wouldn't want to go anywhere. Right. And, you know, that whole PTSD component, you know, is so real. And, you know, I fell on the ice, so I have PTSD for sure when it gets icy out, but I also have it when it's not icy out. Um, like if, if I'm walking down just the right incline of what my driveway was, even if it's sunny and dry, I still will get some of that anxiety, um, the PTSD. So I can only imagine these soldiers coming back to um, who have been in, you know, these horrible situations. Mm-hmm. So this, it's such a cool device. Um, it was really exciting to see that. Um, so I know driving was just one component of what we're talking about today. Um, so explain to us what you mean by community integration. Right. So when we um, think about occupational therapy, one of the things that we look at is the ability to access the community. So 
in our treatment, we talk about, you know, can somebody manage their finances? Can they go grocery shopping so that when they come home, they can cook food? Can they access their work site? Um, And all of these, we have to access the community to do. So driving is tough because, as you mentioned, you were afraid to tell your physician that, you know, you were worried about your driving because it is a huge loss of independence if we can't drive. And in many areas that people live, it's very rural. And if you can't drive, there are very minimal ways to get where we need to go or there's a cost associated with it. So one thing that we really have to make sure we're addressing is if someone's either in the process of getting back to driving or sometimes people progress and heal enough to be able to get back to driving, how are they going to be able to go about their lives successfully? Many of my clients have children and their children have to get to school and they have to get to sports. So um, if that person isn't able to access the community, it impacts not just them, but their whole family. Or if they can't get to work, how are they going to pay their bills? So we have to really think about how are we going to do this? And I guess we start with driving because obviously we want people to get as independent as they can. And driving isn't necessarily a black or white thing. So maybe we have to put in some restrictions or some compensations to get back to driving. Maybe that individual can drive, but not on days where it's very poor weather. We're from Michigan, so we have snow just like you do in Minnesota. Or, you know, if there's torrential downpours and things like that, maybe we're avoiding driving at that time. Or nighttime driving. Or maybe we're putting caps on speed limits. So we're not driving on the highway or the freeway, but we're able to drive, you know, up to 45 miles per hour because our information processing speeds are a little bit slowed. We can also look at memory and accessing the community using a GPS or really pre-planning the way that we're going to get somewhere. Um, And we can talk, we talk a lot about, there's a lot of great apps out now for attention. The iPhone specifically has a driving function where if you're in the vehicle, you won't receive any text messages or phone calls if you have this turned on. It'll automatically reply back and say, hey, I'm driving. I'll contact you when I'm done with this for attention. Maybe there's no radio. Maybe we have to develop compensation to limit conversation in the vehicle so somebody can be successful with the driving function. But if it gets to a point where we can't do that, we have to look at other forms of community access and transportation. So um, big cities are a little bit easier because we have more busing systems, maybe the subway. However, those have to be assessed. I mean, I I don't live in a big city. I, I live in a rural area. So if I tried to get on a bus or a subway, I would have a lot of difficulty doing that without a head injury and navigating where my stop is, what time I need to be where. It's a very complex task, too. So it's something that should definitely be looked at in therapy, assessed, treated, having strategies to be able to do that successfully. But there are other options now that maybe weren't available 10 years ago, like Uber or Lyft. They do come with a charge, but if we can plan our errands effectively so that maybe we don't have to go um, out in the vehicle a lot, but we can get a lot of things done at once, then maybe that might be an effective way to access the community. 
We can also look at many communities have um, a door-to-door transportation system that's paratransit. It's usually through the Americans with Disabilities Act that comes with a small fee, but a lot of times someone can apply for that sort of service so that they're able to even get to their medical appointments maybe so that they can recover from this injury. Um, So we really have to look at what are the options. And obviously some communities have more um, than others, but as therapists, physicians, we really need to be cognizant of how much not being able to access the community would impact somebody from a confidence standpoint, from a monetary standpoint, and just being able to live their lives. And when I was there, you also mentioned to me that your staff will help patients schedule their appointments, you know, with their other doctors and whatnot, and help them get that into their calendar. Um, And that is such an important detail. I, I, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about that because I hear so many stories of how people simply forget to put it in their calendar Mm-hmm. And they just completely forget and don't go to their doctor appointment. And then the doctor will drop them as a patient. And it's so unfortunate because, you know, doctors should be a little more compassionate. I get it. You know, people mm-hmm. know showing is a problem. But, you know, when the person is dealing with a brain injury and memory problems, I mean, it's just it just seems so absurd um, to punish the patient, you know, for for their symptoms. Um but I think these skills that you're helping, helping the patients with as far as, you know, how to balance your checkbook, how, how to make a grocery list, how, you know, like, I mean, there's just so many things that we struggle with after a brain injury. And, you know, I remember just everything was overwhelming and I couldn't remember how to do anything. And I went out to D.C. a year after my brain injury and my friend who used to live out there really helped me plot out how to use the Metro. And I was still scared Mm -hmm. to death to get on that Metro. (laughs) Like, am I going the wrong direction? What happens if I, you know, get off in the wrong spot? What do I do? And, you know, it it really was a very humbling lesson in how to ask for help. You know, I definitely had to ask people, is this the right train? Am I going the right direction? You know, um, yeah, it's just those little things you take for granted that just become so difficult. I think you bring up a good point, too. And one thing that we look at a lot is what we would call topographical or topographical orientation. So, you know, you were in an unfamiliar City, so you didn't really know direction-wise where you were going. But sometimes people can feel that exact same way within their own community. So a common symptom of a head injury is kind of that loss of knowing where you're at and how to figure out where you're going. And that could be even within a grocery store or the mall and figuring out how to use your resources. So how do I use a map, especially for our younger population who's used to using um, GPS systems or their phones to locate places? That's a great strategy. But if you never really learned those skills, like people who maybe are a little bit older and used maps a lot more, um, it's really difficult to teach those skills again, especially when you have a deficit 
on top of it. So you can really feel lost in your own town when you have this kind of injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I actually wrote an article on that. I was driving home from Target, the Target that I went to all the time. And all of a sudden I was like, where am I? Did I, did I get on a wrong road? Where am I? And I had to pull over and pull up my GPS and I was on the right road. It just all of a sudden didn't mm-hmm. look familiar. And that would happen to me often in very familiar settings. And it was so frightening. It was actually really scary to, mm-hmm. to like have that lack of awareness, even though you're in a familiar place. Um, and it's really hard yeah, to course. explain to someone, you know, like someone who hasn't experienced it. It's, it's really, really hard to put that into words. Yeah, and we we talk about that, too. What you just said is exactly what we make sure people understand. You know, if you lose your attention or you have a high level of neuro fatigue, those could impact your ability to recognize familiar places. And so we talk about what would you do in that situation because we don't want you to keep driving and get more lost or to try to pull out your phone while you're driving. So we talk about find a parking lot where you can pull over, call somebody if you need to call somebody and, you know, talk it out or use your GPS. Um, But even sometimes that technology, following the prompts, sequencing through the phone, or even being able to listen to the GPS while you're driving is impacted by that head injury as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And in those situations, we might have individuals who, who have more impairments only drive to familiar places. And hopefully, you know, they can rehearse where they're going to go beforehand and know if there's going to be construction or things like that. Really have that pre-planning, which is very important, so that hopefully that type of situation wouldn't happen. Or we would say, hey, you know, when you get tired, it seems like you get a little bit more confused or more forgetful. So don't get into the car unless you know you're well-rested. And then if you're going grocery shopping and you know that's going to make you tired, take a rest in your car before you drive again to kind of help prevent something like that from happening. I have become an expert at taking a cat nap in my car. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with all the traveling I do, you know, like I have no shame in getting off at a rest stop and taking a nap. (laughs) Yep. That's a, perfect strategy for being able to give you the independence that you need and let you, you know, take these long road trips. It's the little things that really add up to help you be successful. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So Natasha, we're getting close to the end of our time and I just want to make sure um, that we covered all the areas you wanted to make sure we covered. Um, Is there anything we did not touch on yet? Yeah, I just really wanted to make a point to say that, you know, Yes, I'm an occupational therapist, but we really need to look at individuals holistically. So, you know, the speech therapist, the psychologist, the physical therapist, anybody on an interdisciplinary team should really be looking at how the skills they are evaluating could impact a person's ability to drive. We need to include that in our thought process because that really is, important and you know we're really good at getting people back to being able to shower on their own you know get dressed on their own or cook and things like that but I really just want to express that we should be really thinking about that activity analysis and thinking about what 
skills we're evaluating in our own discipline and how they impact someone's ability to access the community and drive. You know, and that's such, you just, it's such a great point of, you know, we often get occupational therapy, physical therapy, you know, all the different therapies, but often, especially if you're an outpatient, um, often you do not get any of those other skills to help you cope, such as, you know, how to balance your checkbook, how to go to the grocery store, how to drive. Mm -hmm. And they're so critical in, um, you know, it just, it kind of, it makes me sad that so many people are missing that in their, in their rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also very hopeful because there are places like origami that are doing this. And as other facilities start seeing how just, you know, spending an hour with someone showing them how to do those different skills and helping them come up with the coping mechanisms, how that it's so simple, but so often overlooked and it's so incredibly helpful. Agreed. Yes. So Natasha, thank you so much for being here today. This is such a great conversation, um, such an important topic to cover. And I just really appreciate, you know, all that you and Origami are doing. Um, I know we have quite a few of your staff members coming up on the podcast, so that's very exciting. Um, but just thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'm really happy to be able to spread awareness on this topic. And also, thank you just for doing this podcast series and being a resource for so many different people. It's really important, and um, I I really enjoy listening to the series. So thanks for everything you do, too. Thank you so much, Natasha, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you got some really great golden nuggets from Natasha. And just a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer, and you can find previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you all again next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.